When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem drops the ball! Turn, picks and flow! And touchdown is frozen over. of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Oh, baby. Welcome in to the Inside Black and Gold podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nowak, running solo. Steve Geller is on the bench for this edition, but we do have special guests coming in. It's going to be Rob Brown and Lonzo Reitzel from the Views from Mint Street podcast covering the Carolina Panthers, also with the fan upstate in Greenville, South Carolina. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stick around for that. It's going to be in the second and third segment of this show. First things first, we're going to go through the injury report. It is Thursday, so we have two days of injury reports to go off of. And, you know, it's, you know, with a lot of names on the injury report for the Saints, but generally speaking, you know, this is a very positive-looking injury report. You can't be too upset about it. There are 10 names on it. But you did have perfect attendance in practice. So, you know, that's a good thing. Everyone on the injury report was limited. There was no, did not participate. Let's just go down the list. You have Paulson Adebo, cornerback Paulson Adebo with an ankle injury. Alvin Kamara with a rib issue. Ryan Ramchick with an elbow injury. Trey Cron Smith with a shoulder issue. Taysom Hill and Marcus May both with rib issues. The baby back ribs in the Saints locker room this week. Jameis Winston with a back and ankle issue. That's the ankle issue is new. The back issue is something coming off of last week. Adam Prentice with a shoulder issue. Deontay Harris with a foot injury. And Alante Taylor was the only addition to the injury report on Thursday. He was not listed on Wednesday. But he is dealing with a knee issue. Now, if you remember during the preseason, he was dealing with a hip issue. So this is another injury that he's dealing with. But again, all these guys were limited in practice. No one missed practice. So that is a good sign. It's a particularly good sign for Paulson Adebo, who had not practiced prior to this week. He got hurt before the Chargers preseason finale, and he had missed you know two, three weeks of practice, and he is now back. He says he's feeling better. Here is exactly what he had to say when the, we were able to talk to him in the locker room today. Yeah, I think he's feeling better and better every day. Uh moving in the right direction. So practice a little bit yesterday, practice a little bit more today. So just kind of trying to keep adding on tomorrow, you know, kind of try to go through a full practice and see how it feels. But I'd say it's feeling uh, better and better every day. So, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who was a standout all throughout camp and it was kind of a failure to launch over the first two weeks of the season. It's interesting because in a season last year where everybody got hurt, Boston Adebo started all 17 games as a rookie. You know, in the COVID year where he had guys missing games. And then this year, he comes in, he misses the first two weeks. But you've gotten to see Bradley Roby. I think he's held up pretty well. Last week, you really missed Paulson Adebo down the stretch of that game because of Marshawn Lattimore's ejection. And you ended up with P.J. Williams in a matchup. You didn't want to have P.J. Williams in and you got burned. Yeah, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. But that was frustrating. Either way, he looks like he's trending toward, if not playing, he's going to be very close. He'll likely be a game-time decision. And if you can get him back, even in a limited capacity, that's a good thing. You want to get him back out on the field. You want to be at full strength in the secondary. And beyond that, Jameis Winston dealing with the back issue, the ankle issue. He was throwing today in practice. So that's a good sign for him. There's a lot of chatter around potentially sitting him down for week three. I'll tell you what, guys, it does not sound like that's going to be the case. Okay, he's going to he's going to lobby to play. And I think he's going to win that argument. The issue with his back, you know, I I guess you could argue that maybe he is limited in some way. But, you know, when you watch him out there, when you go back and watch the tape, you don't see a lot of of clear issues with the injury, right? It's not like he's out there clutching his back. He's not hobbling around. You might be able to argue the deep ball is a little less accurate. Your mechanics might be affected. But 
at the end of the day, he looked healthy enough to play and it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. You know, I think that this injury, while significant, is not the type of injury that is going to keep him off the field. And, you know, just just accept it for what it is. You have to go up and beat a Carolina Panthers team that is very beatable. And I think that's what you're going to have to see. And that's that's going to be the measuring stick for Jameis Winston, not his back, not his health. He's not going to use it as an excuse. But he did kind of go into some of the interceptions that he threw against the Bucks, And the issue he pointed to was not his back. It was not miscommunication with the receivers. It was impatience. It was not being willing to play the way that you had to to win that game, right? Because it was clear that the way the Saints were comfortable winning that game was the same way they were comfortable winning that game in week 15 of last season. They would have been perfectly fine with a 6-3 to three win with a nine to three win. You did not need to get to 17 points to win that game. You might not have even had to get to 10 to win that game if you didn't give up points, right? If you didn't set up the bucks for points with your own mistakes. And it seemed like there was a point in that game where Jameis went from being willing to play that conservative game plan to trying to take it all on himself and throw the Saints to a win, to use his arm to win that game and I think when Jameis says impatience, that's what he's referring to. And here's here's his actual quote: impatience. Uh, that that was a that was a big thing. The one to to Jarvis just was was impatient. Uh, I had a check down right over the middle, uh, and the one uh, to Dean to Jawan uh, that I was throwing to Jawan that was impatient. I had another check down right right over the middle. Uh, the the shot to, to Chris, you know, we can live with those. Uh, the corner made a good play, uh, didn't give them good field position. Right, you know, it's essentially it was a, it was a touchback, uh, but the ones that give them good field position to uh, get points on the board, and one of them ended up in, in points. Uh, we 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 can't have those. Yeah, and so when he's saying impatience, it's not him saying, "Okay, I needed to wait longer. I needed to hold the ball longer." And I think that was a point of confusion with a few people when I tweeted that quote out um, because they were like, "Well, he was holding the ball too long." Well, I mean. That's debatable, but at the same time, that's not what he's referring to. He is referring to his impatience within the game plan. His impatience not to accept a check down on that play and try to force the ball to Juwan Johnson, to try to force the ball to Jarvis Landry, both of which got picked off by the same guy, <laughs> right? The, the throw that he actually wasn't critical of, and it's the same for the same reason I wasn't overly critical of it, was the interception to Chris Olave in the end zone. Now, you could say that it was another instance of him not being patient enough, but I do think that there is a point where you have to say, this is a chance, I'm going to take it, right? It's the same way that that Tom Brady, in field goal range, took a shot to the end zone against P.J. Williams, right? In that instance, you had Chris Olave against Jamel Dean one-on-one over the top, and he had a step, and it was not the wrong throw, right? It was a bad throw. It was not the wrong throw. You threw to Chris Olave 13 times. There was a few of those that you could say, okay, that you probably had better options and you don't need to take a shot in that moment. When you're at the 50-yard line and the the risk-reward is touchdown, incompletion, interception, if the guy is open and you throw it, I'm not going to complain about that because worst-case scenario, the defensive back makes an excellent play and comes down with the ball in a one-on-one situation. And you say, good job. Here it is at your own 20-yard line, right? But that's a touchback, right? That is the least damaging way to turn the ball over, right? The Saints opted not to kick a 57-yard field goal in the first half because they didn't want to give up that field position. So when when your calculus is taking shots when it makes sense, when they work, and not taking chances that you don't have to, that works. And I'm okay with that. And that's basically what Jameis said. And I agree with it. When you look at the tape, he was open, just needed to be a better throw. And I don't, I don't question Jameis's decision-making in that game so much as I question his accuracy. He needs to be better. He needs to anticipate where Chris Olave is going to be better. He needs to put the ball where Chris Olave can go get it better. And they did get better throughout the course of the game. So maybe that's something you can build on. But this is what Jameis said when I asked him about, you know, what goes into targeting a rookie receiver 13 times in a second career game. And here's what he had to say targeted Olave 13 times you know was there just a certain look they were giving you that you felt like he just was going to win that matchup or what, what goes into that yeah I felt like he won his matchups I felt like I just didn't give him the ball uh like I mean shoot I, we connect on on two you know I think I, we just connected on three of them like we connect on two of them two of them being big plays I think it's a different outcome in the game yeah and I think that's true right 
there was a few of those plays where you hit them and all of a sudden you are playing from ahead. And it was very clear. This is kind of obvious, but whatever team was playing from ahead in that second half was probably going to win that game because both defenses were playing at such a high level that just getting out to a lead, pinning yourself to a lead in the second half and forcing the other team to go outside their comfort zone was, was all it would take to win that game. And that's exactly what happened, right? If, if you force Tom Brady to have to hold on to the ball and throw it, there's a chance you are the team that forces three turnovers in that second, in that fourth quarter. So take it for what it is. I think that Jameis is going to be okay. I think that this Panthers team, while formidable on the defensive line, on the defensive side of the ball, they're not going to be a, a huge danger on offense if you can corral Christian McCaffrey. I don't think that Christian McCaffrey is necessarily the, the dynamo that he might have been a few years back. We're going to hear from you know Rob Brown and Lonzo Reitzel, and they're going to give us some, some better insight into what to expect from Christian McCaffrey. But I don't think that he is, at least not right now, the guy you should be most afraid of. Um, I think the guy who you need to make sure doesn't lose you this game is Jameis because he needs to show that that three interception fourth quarter is a, is an aberration, is the exception to the rule. And the 16 to three touchdown interception ratio is the Jameis that we should be and will be expecting the rest of the way. So that's what we're going to want to see. Again, my name is Jeff Nowak coming at you solo here on Inside Black and Gold. We're getting you ready for week three Saints Panthers, another noon matchup this time at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. And coming back from the break, we're going to have our guests from the Views from Mint Street podcast, Rob Brown and Lonzo Wright. So it's going to be a good time. Stick around. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. And as we mentioned in the first segment, we have two excellent guests who can give us some insight into this matchup and they're Rob Brown and Lonzo Reitzel from the views from Mint Street podcast and the fan upstate up in Greensville. No, up in Greenville. Is it South Carolina? North Carolina? It is South Carolina. Okay. Up We're in getting Greenville, through this one at a time, baby. We got this up in Greenville, South Carolina. And I screwed that up despite having lived in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for four <laughs> years. I worked and lived in Myrtle Beach before I moved down here, and I still couldn't tell you whether Greenville is in South Carolina or North Carolina. Either way, we're going to get into this. How are you guys doing today? Good, man. Doing real good. It's uh, not the football team's not 0-2, not a great start, but hey, divisional play starts another day for the Panthers, and it doesn't matter that we haven't won a home game in over a calendar year. The last one that we won was against the Saints, so fingers crossed in the Carolinas, I guess. So it's funny you bring that up because oh, I had a note which is very it's it kind of bridges off that. So the Panthers' last home game that they won was against the Saints. The Saints' last home game that they won was against the Panthers last year. It wasn't quite as long ago, so it's not as negative of a note. But the Saints also have lost five of six games at home. So these are two teams who it kind of feels like the home team is at a disadvantage, which is weird. But it's just the reality for these two teams right now. You know, we, we'd have to say it, it, someone has to win, but we've already seen a tie this early in the season. So I guess someone doesn't have to win. Speaking of winning, one of the one of the things that I thought was funny this week, so the Panthers lost to the Giants. And so anytime you have Baker Mayfield going up against Daniel Jones, you have to come back to the quote, I cannot believe the Giants took Daniel Jones. It blows my mind. Some people overthink it. That's where people go wrong. They forget you've got to win. <laughs> and I just can't help but remind Baker Mayfield that he probably shouldn't troll people at the, that early in his career. I, I don't know. That's just my, my take. You know, I, I, Here's the thing, and and it's not like we've had any shortage of time that we've talked about Baker Mayfield over the last two and a half months since he showed up in Charlotte. I think people really kind of slip on what Baker accomplished in Cleveland, right? I mean, a guy that shows up to a football team that won a game the mm -hmm. year before he got there, and within a couple of years, he's turned them into a playoff team. Now, you know, we, we've got another guy that we talked to on our show here in Greenville who loves to point out that at the time that that happened, Baker was playing with arguably the best wide receiver core in the National Football League, was playing behind statistically the best offensive line in football, and all that's good and great, but a part of assembling that type of talent around a guy is having a guy that people want to play around. Baker has done it before. Baker's already been in that spot. The fact is... The Panthers were expected to be 
a ballpark six to seven win football team, whether Sam Darnold or Baker was in there, it is going to take time for growth. Both of the two games that we've lost so far against Cleveland and New York, both winnable games and both games that, frankly, we likely should have won. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know what the Saints are going to be this year. I, I'm not sure people know what the Saints are as of right now. This is a winnable game for Carolina mm -hmm. as well. And I'm going to tell you it's a must win because the next three games, I am convinced if Matt Rule goes 0 for 3, starting with New Orleans, He's done. He's out. It'll be a midseason firing if he goes 0 for 3, certainly 0 for 5 in the next 5, which is a real possibility there. So just to clarify, when you say must win, you mean must win for Matt Rule to keep his job. To keep his job. Exactly okay. right. I, I think, and Lonzo and I have gone back and forth on this a number of times, and we kind of fell preseason on this is Matt Rule's final year, right? Like the, the premise was he was brought in because he's a guy that runs three-year turnarounds. Well, this is year three. So we both kind of played on the idea that this is his last year to turn the team around, and then next year he has to show the results. But based on what we've seen through two weeks, I don't know if that's going to hold up anymore. Uh, those two losses were brutal at the beginning of the year. So this Saints game, I think, is the most high-pressure game for Matt Rule during his tenure in uh, in Carolina. I do think this is an interesting matchup. One, because it's the Saints and the, and the Panthers, obviously, and we saw what happened in week two of last year, and that pass rush just ate the Saints offensive line alive, and I'm interested to see how they handled that with another chance. They seem to handle it better in week, I think it was 16 of last year than they did in week two. Um, but also because you're talking about two teams who I would argue are not settled at quarterback in any way. I mean, the Panthers have had a different starting quarterback, what, for four straight seasons now? Yep. And they're in similar situations, right? These are former number one overall picks that had the team that drafted them quit on them and move on to somebody else. Yeah, move on to greener pastures, bring in a quarterback they like better. With the Bucks, it was Tom Brady. With the Browns, it was Deshaun Watson, who sells and played a snap. And I think these, this is like a very much a kind of a prove it game for both of these guys, because we saw Jameis go out there and get kind of hammered against the Bucks through those three interceptions in the fourth quarter. And I mean, if you're I, the Panthers could have won those first two games, but you know, it's really tough to to be confident in a guy going out and losing to the Giants, who might be the worst two and O team in NFL history. I mean, they they barely squeaked out a win against the Titans because. The least the kicker I have the least confidence in in the world. Who who's the Titans kicker? Um, well, Randy so, Bullock. Yes, Randy Bullock, who is like the least the the least confidence inspiring kicker you have in the NFL. Like he went out there for a forty five yard field goal, and I was like, oh, that's a miss, and he missed. Uh, and so like that's a team that should be zero and two, and instead they are two and zero. Like the Panthers fumbled on their first two possessions of that game, and had nothing to do with Baker Mayfield. So. I think that, you know, one way or another, you're going to come out of this game with some confidence in the starting quarterback. And it's just a question of who it is. I think I think the other thing is you talked about the defense, the defense for Carolina. They kind of found themselves for all of like two series last week. So I, I'm interested to see what they do. I mean, they shut down Saquon Barkley after giving up a ton of yards the week before to uh, to that Cleveland rushing attack. So it's going to be interesting to see how the defense plays, which defense is going to play better. The Saints defense, it, it is strange because you look and you see how they did against the Falcons, which is a team that should not be surprising anyone on offense. And they kind of got bullied a little bit. They have one sack through two games. Part of that is because Tom Brady, you know, gets the ball out faster than you can blink. You know, like he'd rather punt than take a sack in a game at 45 years old. So, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. But this is a pass rush that was supposed to be a strength of this team. And just has not been able to do anything thus far. And I am curious. So in your first two weeks watching Baker and that offensive line, how has it looked? I think he has six sacks through through two games. Yeah. The 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 offensive line is a work in progress. And I think that's that's the best way to put it, right? We've got Ike Kwanwu over at the left tackle. That's a rookie. Uh, you're not only putting a rookie on the OL, but you're putting him at the most important position on the on the OL on Baker's blind side. Uh, he did not have a terrible week last week, but the few mistakes he made were very costly late in the game. Uh, he let love come through and and he just hammered Baker Mayfield in, in a big time situation towards the end where, you know, any yard could result in a, in a field goal that maybe ties that game up. 
Uh, Brady Christensen has moved where he played left tackle last year inside the left guard. He's learning a new position. Taylor Motes on over on the right side has been exceptionally good. Uh, Pat Alfline at center has been interesting because we thought Bradley Bozeman had taken that job away from him before the year started, but Elfline has started both games and he's actually played relatively well with the exception of a few drop snaps back in week one in the elegance Cleveland. But I do have to remind people that Baker Mayfield had basically a week and a half in Charlotte before training camp started. So he didn't really get full familiarity with the offense and, and time to build that chemistry. And because of the, quarterback competition which there definitely never actually was one but because of the competition Baker didn't really get significant PT in any of those preseason games and so the chemistry between him and Elfline didn't really build the way you'd like it to between a QB and a center uh and some of that led I think to a little anxiety on the part of Baker Mayfield which has led Baker Mayfield to feel pressure that's not really there, right? Like we remember a couple of years ago when Sam Darnold was in New York and he complained about seeing ghosts out on the field. Yeah. I think Baker's got a little bit of that, but it's on the pass rush. And, you know, I think Baker has been diving out of the pocket a few times. It's not a, a, a chronic issue, but there's been a few times where Baker has dived out of the pocket to avoid a pass rush that hasn't really developed yet because he's a bit uh, trigger shy behind that offensive line, he ends up running to the outside. Well, because the defensive ends have not gotten up the field for contain, he's basically running out to where the defensive ends are being held by his tackles, Moton and, and, and Aquanu on both sides. I think he's got to calm down a little bit. The bad news is that the Saints have what should be one of the better pass rushes in the National Football League. Now, the good news is that statistically, you guys haven't shown that yet. You guys haven't put the pass rush to the screws of Mariota or Brady yet. And so if that trend continues the same way against Carolina this weekend, Baker should have time to sit back and make some better reads and some better throws. He hasn't been as bad as a lot of Panthers fans are making him out to be, but he's got to calm down in the pocket just a little bit. And if we have the success keeping Cam Jordan and, and your guys out of the backfield, that, Tampa Bay did last week with a backup offensive line that should allow Brady to stand in the pocket the next second, second and a half that he hasn't been and deliver a more accurate football. Yeah. I mean, so the stats that, that stick out to me, you know, 53.6% completion percentage through two weeks, Baker coming out of college was this hyper accurate quarterback. That was kind of his claim to fame. 30 for 56, 380 yards, two touchdowns, one interception so far. And I would argue those those that yardage is a little skewed because they had that 75-yard touchdown to Robbie Anderson in week one, like late in the game, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, you know, that's a quarter of the yardage. But so I guess, but my question for Baker, and I think the issue for Baker has always been, it's it's less about, you know, what he can do as a quarterback and more about whether he can fit in a locker room. I, I think that his issues in Cleveland went far deeper than than wins and losses right he basically ran Odell Beckham Jr. out of town Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad was like subtweeting him right like that's that's just a strange scenario to be in and I am curious so how has that gone over the first few weeks of the season is it because I mean Sam Darnold was in there he never really seemed to be like entrenched Teddy Bridgewater was in there he never seemed to be entrenched I was who was it before that not Kyle Trask um Kyle Allen is that right? Kyle Allen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle Allen and Cam, obviously. Cam was there for a long time. And so I just like, is he the guy that you think is going to be a long-term starter for the Panthers? Because it's just, it's crazy to me that they have, they've cycled through all of these names and you just have not been able to latch onto one. Well, the thing is, as far as Baker goes, he he gets a bad, I'm from Ohio. So I, I, I got some friends there that are, that are big time Cleveland Browns fans. And they, when, when Baker just got to go to Carolina I got several emails saying, good for you. You're getting a good quarterback. So so the fans don't think what some of the media seems to think about uh, Baker Mayfield. And all we've seen since he's been to Carolina in camp and, you know, so far has been nothing but everybody loves the guy. They're joking and pranking during practice, all that kind of stuff. So you don't hear anything. And I, I think a lot of that uh, with the OBJ thing is – the locker room had to decide which side they wanted to be on. And mm. the ones who chose OBJ are the loudest ones. 
So I'll, I'll piggyback onto that for just a second, if you don't mind, to say this. One of the problems that you have in Carolina that I don't know you would have if you had a more established head coach is a locker room that that basically already has a central figure, right? I mean, if if, if you talk about, uh, hey, go back to your team, right? Like, like it wouldn't have mattered if Drew Brees was a vet or not. Even after Brees left, when Sean Payton was there, and you guys brought in Teddy Bridgewater when Brees got hurt that year, the same guy that we're talking about. When Teddy B took over for Drew Brees for those games where, where Brees was injured a couple of years back and Sean Payton was there, there was no seam, right? There was no gap. I mean, it just felt like the Saints offense, just like, okay, not as talented as Drew, but that's our guy, that's our leader. And I think that comes from having a, a, a head coach that has fortified that locker room already. And Matt Rule's not that guy. And while I will say that the players have been less, let's say, boisterous about their displeasure with Matt Rule as the head coach this year. At the end of the day, you don't have a locker room that's got half the guys in the last year going, well, you know, we need to talk about coaching. And now suddenly just everybody's okay. There's very clearly, in my opinion, there's very clearly some level of discontent there. And it's like, how do you walk in if you're Baker Mayfield or anybody else? How do you walk into a locker room that has a divide in it and go, I am the great uniter when you're the newest guy, right? Like you just got there. If Baker had been in Carolina for two or three years, maybe you'd have more guys that have bought in, but Baker was already a contentious guy, like it or not. And I don't, I agree with Lonzo. I think he's, it's a worse rap from the media than from fans in a lot of cases, but how does a guy like Baker, who's already contentious walk in and be the great uniter when there's very clearly a divide in the locker room already, it's a big, big ask. And the only way to overcome that is to be a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback that is worth three or four wins just by rolling out on the field like Breeze was, like Brady is, like Aaron Rodgers, et cetera. And while Baker Mayfield is very good, he ain't that yet. So, you know, I, I, I think there's I think there are some deeper issues that come to light is part of the reason that I think that Matt rules hot seat is hotter right now than it has been during his entire tenure. That being said, you still expect more out of Baker. Don't create pressure in your head. Don't create problems that don't exist because it makes the existing problems that much worse. Again, we're talking to Rob Brown and Lonzo Reitzel from the views from mint street podcast, another odyssey podcast. Make sure to check it out. If you're in into that in-depth Panthers coverage, and, uh, you know, one of the guys who I think a lot of Saints fans are going to be interested in, he popped up on the injury report today with an ankle issue, which probably gives a lot of Panthers fans nightmares anytime they hear this guy's name and ankle, but it's Christian McCaffrey. And I am curious, is this after two years of injuries, and we saw the almost identical thing with Michael Thomas in terms of who are you getting back, right? I think Michael Thomas and Christian McCaffrey have a lot in common in terms of, you know, he's a guy who only played 10 games the last two seasons after being this just dynamic all-world running back. Michael Thomas, obviously a wide receiver, but, you know, 149 catches in 2019. Is the Christian McCaffrey you're seeing this year the same Christian McCaffrey you remember? Because I feel like for running backs, it goes quick. And you often don't even realize it until you're already – you know, on the backside of someone's career. I think Todd Gurley is a good example. And how are you seeing him kind of deal with that this year? All right, I'm going to jump in here first because Rob's going to disagree with me because we always (laughs) disagree about this. He's not some fragile porcelain doll. The reason why he's not touching the ball as much this year, the reason why you can't tell what you got is because they're not giving him the ball enough. I think he needs to get the ball at least 10 more times, five more carries, five more passes. Rob disagrees with me. And and he says he's healthy. He's back. Play him. He's a football player. That's what you do. If he's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. You cannot protect him the entire season. If you ask him, he I'm sure he'll say he wants the ball every single time. Yeah. Yes, I am going to uh, disagree with Lonzo, and 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 he'll be wrong. So McCaffrey is playing three out of every ten games over the past two seasons. McCaffrey's also a guy that if he's in, you win, and if he's not, you lose. Although there Mm -hmm. was an interesting stat that Matt Rule in games where the bad guys score more than 17 points is Mm 1-17. and Not a great look, but we need McCaffrey 
in order to be good. Here's here's what I think, and I'm I'm, I'm glad we're talking Panther Saints here because the example that I use is a Saints program from a few years back. McCaffrey's a guy I've said I want 20 to 22 touches us a, a game at absolute maximum because while he's not a porcelain doll, he's pretty close, and and, and the number of games played suggests that you need McCaffrey to win football games. Here's what you don't have to have. You don't have to have 30 touches. He can be used in another way. Uh, Jeff, go back to when the Saints had Reggie Bush mm-hmm. under Sean Payton back in the 06 era, 09 era. If you think about what Reggie Bush is a football player, uh, was as a running back specifically at that point in time, Reggie Bush was a home run threat every time he touched the ball, right? We all agree on that. But you'll notice Reggie Bush did not get the ball all that often in plays designed for Reggie Bush. What was Reggie Bush also used for? As a decoy, right? Because if I send Bush out on a wheel route or a flat route or fake the end around to Reggie Bush, you've got to commit your best defender to him. You have to. Because the moment that I see, and Sean Payton would see, that you weren't committing your best defender to Reggie Bush, Reggie was getting the ball and he was going to turn somebody uh, into burnt toast. That's just what he was. So just by having him on the field and having him run through as if he was going to get the ball, you only had to give it to him one out of 10, two out of 10 times, and he was still an effective part of the offense as a weapon, even though he wasn't touching the ball. That's what, in my opinion, Matt Rule and and McAdoo need to be doing with McCaffrey. Yeah, I want him on the field for 100% of the offensive snaps, but he should be getting it about 15 to 20% of those snaps. On the other 80% of the snaps, 75% of the snaps tops, I need him being used as a decoy. I need him going off the edge, pull that linebacker core and extend them vertically, or excuse me, horizontally, so that Robbie and DJ can expand horizontally. I need him faking the ends around so that the defensive ends have to maintain, contain at the end of the line and can't just bull rush the tackles to get to Baker. Send him out on seam routes that you're not going to throw the ball to him, but make sure that that single high cover safety has to stay committed to the middle of the field, which lets Anderson and Moore get up the sideline. There's so many things you can do with Christian McCaffrey without giving him the football and risking further injury because here is the reality that Lonzo and a lot of other Panthers fans either don't uh, care or, or don't get is that when you lose him to an injury, the offense is down, is done, right? Like we can all talk about next men mentality all we want, but there is a reason that you are the next man instead of the man. And in this case, it's because Christian McCaffrey is the man. This offense clicks around. If you lose that guy, the season and any hope of becoming the first 0-2 team to make the 14-team expanded playoffs is DOA at that moment. So what are we getting out of the guy? Uh, I mean, look, he had 102 yards last week. He's back to form. But what I'm afraid of is Matt Rule's going to look at that 102 and go, okay, let's go ahead and give him the ball 35 times, and McCaffrey's going to get right. The The injury report today, McCaffrey's playing Sunday. It's effectively a rest day without going full Tom Brady and just going, oh, he was just sleepy. Let him stay in bed a few extra minutes. It's a rest day for a 26-year-old running back with injury problems. That's what it is. He will be on the field on Sunday. Uh, I do hope selfishly that Alvin Kamara is back this weekend because McCaffrey v. Kamara might be the best running back on running back battle that we get this year. I just don't want to see McCaffrey getting the ball 30 times in a game especially against the D-line that you guys have have been questionable against the past. No doubt, you guys stuffed Leonard Fournette last week. I mean, stuffed Leonard Fournette. That front four has been a good run defense this year. I don't want to be running McCaffrey into the chief of a, of a wood chipper all week because we might lose him for the season if we try that. I tend to agree with what, what you're saying there. And it's really not even Christian McCaffrey dependent. It's You're talking about a running back who is a threat in the passing game and is an elite kind of game-breaking player. This is not Derrick Henry. This is a guy who you need to be efficient with. It's not about volume, it's about efficiency. 
when it comes to running backs. And, you know, we get, there's a lot of comparisons to make with this with the Panthers and the Saints in terms of, you know, Alvin Kamara is a similar guy. You can't afford to plow between the tackles with him 20 times a game and expect him to be there at the end of the season, you know? But I, I think that's, that's where we can wrap up that segment. I want to get into some X factors with y'all because I think that there are a lot of unknowns, at least from the Saints fan perspective, about this Carolina team. So let's get into that when we come back on Inside Black and Gold. Back here on Inside Black and Gold, I gave Steve Jeller, <laughs> Jeller, I gave Steve Geller the night off. I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer, and we still have our guests from Views from Mint Street podcast, another Odyssey special, and uh, from the fan upstate in Greenville, South Carolina, Rob Brown, Lonzo Reitzel, and we're going to get into the X factors, the players that could make or break this game on the Panthers side that the Saints are going to have to account for. Rob, who would be your first pick as an X factor for the Panthers in this game? Well, I, th- I think the first one is pick your defensive pass rusher here, right? I mean, it could be Brian Burns, but I think Derek Brown is the guy. Derek Brown's a guy that, you know, he's a first-round pick. He's a guy that the last couple of weeks, really coming into the season, took a lot of grief from Panthers fans because he wasn't necessarily putting up the numbers that you would expect out of a first-rounder. The last two weeks, Derek Brown has been really good I mean really good both as a pass rusher and as a run stuffer in the interior of the line I think against obviously a multi-dimensional offense like New Orleans can be as we saw last year before Jameis got hurt I think having that versatility at the inside point of attack is is huge and Derek Brown's been that guy for us so far this year so I would put his name up at the top of that list uh, and then, and this is this is what interested me. If you go back and look at the uh, passing defensive stats by team in the NFL, the team that is giving up the fewest yards per attempt in the league right now is the Carolina Panthers. Now, granted, the two quarterbacks we've been up against were Daniel Jones and Jacoby Brissett, so not exactly a murderer's row of QBs in the NFL. But we are keeping teams right now at under 4.4 yards per completion at this point, which leads me to believe that defensively, uh, we need a big showing from a couple of guys. I would say J.C. Horn is at the top of that list. I suspect he's going to be the guy that's pressed into duty against Michael Thomas and goes one-on-one in the situations where we're playing man up. He He was exceptional last year before his leg blew up. He's been good this year, though not necessarily standout. I would also keep an eye on Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods is is a really interesting pick at the strong safety spot, not because he's an elite ball hawk, but he's a big contact guy, right? Like if Xavier Woods is in your neck of the woods when you catch the the football, Xavier Woods is going to put a pop on you and turnovers become real around Xavier Woods. So I would say D Brown, J.C. Horn, and Xavier Woods on the defensive side of the ball on the offensive side of the ball, uh, I'm interested to see what Chuba Hubbard does this week because McCaffrey was out. I know I'm saying this when Lonzo's shaking his head because he's like, you took my guy. But No, 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 that's not it. I'm just waiting to get to talk, but that's normally what I have to do. <laughs> oh, so you, you, just go, you go right ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm going Chuba Hubbard only because Chuba Hubbard got effectively removed from the game last week after fumbling the open kickoff, and I still do not understand why. I hope he earns his way back onto the field offensively. Let us let us shift to the other half, the better half, I might say, of the views from Mint Street podcast. Lonzo writes, "Who are your X factors?" Yeah, I'm I'm a little more precise, and and you said a couple. A couple to me is two. You went three. A couple is two. Go above and beyond, Lonzo. You know that he is the X factor of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so let's go to the other side of the ball and go to someone we've talked about a bunch on the podcast and on the air. And that's Shai Smith. Uh, Shai Smith is kind of, he's unknown everywhere else except for the Panthers. He really shown in, in, in training camp and uh, he's returning punts now. And he dropped some obvious balls. You talked about how, how Baker's accuracy is down. A lot of that has to do with 
balls right in the hands of receivers and them going, ah, I don't want that. I, I don't I don't want to catch that. Shai Smith did that last week. I think he had a touch of the nerves. He got hurt on one of his punt returns, and I think he got a little shaky. But this is a guy who, when he catches the ball, can do really good things with it. And I think he's a guy who has a chance uh, to shine this week. And I'm only going to go with one since Rob won. You can keep so going. We another one. Do it. We're no, fine. no, we're good. We're good. We're good. You know, I, I'm glad you brought up Shai Smith because when I was wa- – I didn't get to watch the Giants-Panthers game live because they are playing at the same time as the Saints, and I was on the field for that one, uh, which makes it kind of difficult to keep Humble track brag. of the Humble brag. Humble brag. Humble brag. The Saints got toasted at home again. <laughs> but, you know, Shai, when I was re-watching this, the Giants-Panthers, uh, Shai Smith was a name that just kept – kept being said like you kept hearing his name and i do think that's interesting for a guy who you just don't know about but he's making an impact on games and he clearly is a target that baker likes there's also a shy on the saints his name's shy tuttle so this has got a shy on shy thing going on but i do one question i have when it comes to the panthers is i feel like this is a team that is built to attack downfield which is why i thought it was odd that baker would be the guy and it probably was just kind of a product of his availability in terms of, you know, he wouldn't be the guy you start this team with because I don't think Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore necessarily make sense with his skill set because he's never been a guy that really pushes the ball downfield unless I'm mistaken. So I am curious, how do you think that's going to be a part of this game plan where you're, you're actually trying to stress a defense over the top? Because I don't think that's been that's definitely not something he did in Cleveland. Well, uh, as far as that goes, uh, if you look, there have been a couple of really long pass plays already. It's a matter of Baker staying upright in the first game. You know, that was that was a game of emotion. That's something he had to deal with. The the Cleveland he, Something he said was taken out of context. The Cleveland guys used that as fuel. They wanted to get back there and hit him, and they did, not with malice. I mean, they could have tried to hurt him. They didn't do that, but they got back there on him. And uh, Icky and the offensive line did a whole lot better last week. If he has time, he's going to hit those guys, especially Robbie Anderson, who's starting to use him across the middle, fairly deep across the middle, but deep across the middle. And these guys, they don't have to be hit with the really deep ball because they're really good after the catch. It's just a matter of getting them the ball. And uh, so I, I think he fits fine with what they're doing right now. And, you know, there's always a draft next year. I am, I'm going to. Where there's some really good quarterbacks that can throw really deep. I'm I'm going to agree with Lonzo, uh, maybe for a different Surprise! reason, but he's right. I know, shocking. Uh, he is correct in this. Uh, it is a team that gives you the image of being built to throw deep, though it's not really. They are built around Christian McCaffrey. They have been for years. Uh, and, and again, I don't think McCaffrey needs to touch the ball to still be built around McCaffrey, but they are a team that is built as a more utilitarian offense. Now, they are also a team that is built if you give them vertical space, they will absolutely take advantage of it, right? We've seen that in both games so far. If you give specifically Robbie Anderson uh, any sort of room vertically, he's going to stretch the field, and Baker can put a long ball down if he's got the time to establish a a base and and throw the rock. They can go vertical, but I think the the Saints are a team that wants to beat you at the point of – excuse me, the Panthers are a team that's going to want to beat the Saints – at the point of attack, they're a team that's going to want to stretch you horizontally with McCaffrey. Uh, Ian Thomas has really come into his own as a as a route running quarterback. Doesn't have as many targets as frankly he could or should right now, but he had that big fifty yard catch down the stream uh, down the seam against Cleveland that almost broke that game wide open for Carolina. So they're talking they about Ian Thomas, the tight end. Yes, the tight yeah, end. Okay. Uh, the, the the tight end. Uh, had a 50-yard catch against Cleveland. I almost broke that game open. They are a team that is designed to beat you, certainly up around that front seven. And then when they lull you into that false sense of security, go over the top and get you. Uh, the, the problem is, like I said, it takes time for that vertical route to establish. And it's not that the offensive line is playing poorly. It's not as good as I'd like it to be or good as I think it will for a team that's gelling. Baker's just got to get more confident in the pocket. And I'm hoping that another couple of weeks familiarizing himself with Ben McAdoo's playbook uh, and the offensive line he's playing behind will do that. I keep forgetting that Ben McAdoo is the offensive coordinator. As someone who watched a lot of Giants games uh, during the the, the dark years, um, which is still ongoing. Uh, yeah, but, he... but, ben, 
Ben yeah. McAdoo gets a bad rap, Jeff. I, tell me if I'm wrong. Let me phrase that. Tell me if I'm wrong here. When Ben McAdoo was the offensive coordinator for the Giants, they, he they took good. over, yep. and the Giants were like 31st in the NFL in offensive efficiency. The second year, they were like 14th, and the third year, they were like 7th. McAdoo went and got himself a head coaching job, and he Because he was good, right. Right. That's that's what people forget about. Like he doesn't get that head coaching job if he wasn't outstanding as yeah. the offensive coordinator. And Eli Manning had some of his best years with Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator. So I'm not I'm not trashing Ben McAdoo the OC. I'm trashing Ben McAdoo the head coach because he oh, was yeah. terrible. Which it was like, terrible, what is that? But- well, what bus driver do you have out there calling plays? Because it's not great. Um, but no, he, he's he, he and Steve Spagnuolo are two of the two of the the assistant coaches that keep coming up. I I keep seeing them everywhere. Um, and, and, you know, they were, they were good coaches and it's interesting. Um, one thing that, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't realize Rob here has actually more saint stuff in the background of his set set there than I do. All I have is a Michael Thomas, like little, uh, you know, Funko head here. Tell So you're, you're from new Orleans originally, or what, what were you saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from New Orleans. My family still lives in New Orleans. I took this job in Greenville, South Carolina, two and a half years ago, uh, and have been up here ever since. And, uh, man, I, I love it here. Greenville is absolutely spectacular. Carolina fans have been great to me. The Panthers fans up here. It's kind of interesting being in a spot where you have so much coverage of a divisional rival of the team that you grew up loving. But I, the Panthers fans have been spectacular. They're great fans, if not a very frustrated fan base, and understandably so. But I have loved covering this team up here. I will be at the game on Sunday, as a matter of fact, because, uh, you know, I, I am I am now between my two favorite NFL football teams, the one that I grew up with and the one I get paid to cover. Uh, and I'm I'm very very excited about it. So Sunday's gonna be a Sunday's gonna be a very good game. Uh, and 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 I'm I even think Lonzo's going skybox because he's a haughty uh, one percenter. Fancy. Well, I'm curious when I'm looking down on you, what jersey you're gonna be wearing? <laughs> you gonna have one of those like cut down the middle? No, you no, you can't do that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, uh, uh, whose mom was it that that has like she goes to like two NFL games every week and she like she'll watch the Sunday afternoon and then it's fly the- to the Oh, I think it's the Diggs mom. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know her name, but I know it's Trayvon. I'm going to have one of those jerseys that's half and half right down the middle. Right. One Uh, side, it's going to say birth, and the other, it's going to say pay. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is funny because we kind of went opposite directions. I didn't grow up in Myrtle Beach, but I lived in Myrtle Beach for four years and then came down here. Then you started down here and went up there. Anyway. So let's just close this out again. I'm talking to Rob Brown, Alonzo Reitzel from the Views from Mint Street podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I do have to ask, is this the week the longest active losing streak in the NFL ends? Do you think that the Panthers pull this out? And well, what's your score prediction? I'll start with you, Lonzo. Yeah, he wants me to go first because he's going to go opposite of what I say. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I, I, I wish I wish I knew for sure. Uh, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Carolina winning by a field goal since they've lost by one the last two weeks. I'm going to go 24-21 Carolina. Listen, you, you you mentioned it, and what what Jeff kind of felt like a bit of a personal dig, but we'll let that go. It it is the <laughs> longest active losing streak. It is a fact, no matter how mean spirited you may have meant it as. Uh, <laughs> we we have not won a home game in a year. At some point, the law of averages says you will, even if you're a really bad team. That being said. Uh, as, as, as much as we can sit here and talk about Carolina, I really don't know who the saints are as a team yet. Right. I mean, look, you went up to Atlanta, uh, an Atlanta team that in fairness gave the LA Rams all they wanted it a little bit more in the fourth quarter of week two, but a Falcons team that is and two. And speaking of long field goals, the saints needed one to sneak out of Atlanta with a W they frankly probably didn't deserve. And then last week, the closer we got down to the end of the fourth, uh, for whatever reason, New Orleans just kind of melted down against Tampa. That being said, I don't, I, I don't know what they are. Um, Jameis is back. Really, how bad is it, right? Like, he played last week with four freaking fractures in his back. There's a big question mark about that. I may surprise Lonzo on this one, but I actually do think Carolina can and will win this football game. Uh, I, I think that the defensive front for Carolina, it basically comes down to me to stop Alvin Kamara, right? Because Jameis last week was putting balls in the air and Carolina's defensive backfield is one of the most unappreciated backfields in the NFL. And I'm fine with that. Keep it a secret. Let QBs keep getting brave against us. The numbers are going to be there. Uh, stop Kamara. Put it all on the shoulders of Jameis Winston. 
and let's have a little fun in the defensive backfield. Uh, I am also going to go Panthers. And for the record, Alonzo will tell you, I am not afraid to pick against the Panthers. I have done it three times uh, in the last three games, including back to week 17 of last year. That being said, this is Matt Rule's last chance. I I was looking at tickets earlier. The bank is going to be rocking on Sunday. If they lose, it won't be next Sunday. But the Panthers fans are going to give them one more shot at home. Uh, I am going to go Panthers, although it's a lower score. I'm going to play to Matt Rule's Rule's stat here. I am going to go 21-17. Carolina gets the win over New Orleans. So are they still doing that like weird like virtual reality like Panther that jumps off the, don't, the top don't, of the don't be, a, don't be a hater, Jeff. Don't be a <laughs> hater. You know it's cool. You know you like it. Don't be a hater. It was frightening the first time I saw it. I was like, what, what is happening? But no, yeah, I think one thing that, that you're not going to get for the Saints this year going in is uh, you're not going to be surprised by that. I think, I think last year, a big part of that game in week two, the Saints did not expect the type of game they got. They did not expect the pass rush they got. They were completely flummoxed by the zone blitz schemes. The, there was one point in that game that the Panthers ran the same blitz three plays in a row, and it got home all three times. Like They, they just had nothing. So I think that this time around, you're going to get a much more motivated Saints team because you know I was talking to Deuce McAllister about this. And it's like one thing you definitely don't want to do is to lose a game right before an eight-hour flight to London. You know, So this is going to be a very motivated team. I, I get your it's a good question how much can Jameis do it's a good question you know will Alvin you say you have to stop Alvin Kamara I don't know how how much run he's going to get he's still dealing with a rib injury that kept him out last week so I think it's going to be a close game these division games are always tough and like you mentioned Atlanta I think we we have been sleeping on Atlanta being a better team than we expected them to be I think that offense with Marcus Mariota in there works but you know I think if you're Jameis and you're the Saints you better win this game <laughs> because you're going to have some tough questions to answer if you don't. So that's the only reason I'm going to lean toward him. And like you said, you've, you've gotten comfortable picking against the Panthers. Well, it's, you have to. Otherwise, you're going to be wrong every week. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I mean, it's just reality. They haven't wow. lost a game. And I mean, if you pick the Panthers you in the last you nine weeks, you're going to be 0-9. You're home, and then you godfather us like that. Man. <laughs> Oh, you know, I've, I've been, I'm a Giants fan, man. I, I, I've, I have no sympathy. I have no sympathy whatsoever. But, all right, again, it's been Rob Brown, Lonzo Wright, so it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to check out their podcast, Views from Mint Street, on the Odyssey app, podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, all the casts. Thanks so much for joining us, you guys. You got it.